and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Alright, praise the Lord everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Remnant Call. I'm your host, Brother Frank, and we are excited because tonight is Good Grief, the Powerful Testimony of Benjamin Baruch, Part 2. Part 2. So if you did not hear Part 1, you do not want to miss it. You need to go back, listen to Part 1 first, then come to Part 2. They do follow in order, and there is reason before that. Benjamin is building on something here, the way the Lord took his life and uh, through, his, through his testimony of his walk with the Lord. So please catch it. You don't want to miss it. It is an amazing show, and I'm not going to mess around tonight. I'm going to get right into this episode, but just remember, please, folks, if you didn't hear part one, go back. And another thing I'd like to ask everybody, please share these episodes with your friends. Share this with your friends all over the place. This is stuff people need to hear. People need to be encouraged. People also need to be warned. And so I encourage everyone, share these episodes. It's on YouTube. It's on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, you can pick it up on the Facebook page, wherever you want to go, uh, and pick these up. But please share it with your friends. Well, all the way from an undisclosed location, I've got Brother Benjamin Baruch on the phone here with us tonight. Brother Benjamin, are you here? Well, good evening, Frank. Praise the Lord. Benjamin, I'm not fooling around. We're going to get right into this show. But I wanted to say just something very quickly. My wife reminded me of this uh, right just a second ago. She said, you need to tell Benjamin, and sorry, hon, I'm going to declare this on the radio. So my wife, you know, a few weeks ago, Benjamin, a month or so ago, when I was going through that real struggle, my wife kind of had to call me out. You know, honey, why are you not praising the Lord? I was down low, and I, you know, she called me out, and, and I praise God for that. But we had a little argument um, over some money. We had gotten to do some fixing on our house. It's not a lot of money. And um, I said, you know, hon, we really need to give God what's his out of this money. And she's like, well, we, we always give God what's I, everything we do. We don't always do. But, you know, this money, we need this money. I was like, honey, we really need to give this to God. And, boy, she gave me the look, you know, that, well, all married men, you know the look. I got the look, okay? And so I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be fun. Well, I learned years ago to kind of back off and allow the Lord to do his work when it comes to my wife. She listened to your episode, Benjamin, last week on the part one, when the Lord told you about that car, that it was his car. It belonged to him and not you. Well, long story short, that pricked my wife's heart. And after the show, she was like, okay, we're doing it. And so I just want to say, praise the Lord. You never know what you're going to say, how it might affect somebody. And, uh, you know, that little word right there was powerful, and my wife took it as a, as a kind of a rebuke in a way, um, that everything belongs to God. Nothing belongs to us. 
And so thank you for that. And one last thing, Benjamin, before I let you go, I want to say this to folks. Um, you might have heard Benjamin's story and said, wow, some of that stuff, that's almost unbelievable. It's amazing. And I just want to say something. I met Benjamin in 1999 down when he was on the Prophecy Club tour um, in Nashville, Tennessee. So I met him, I think it was maybe, I don't know, maybe April, March, April, somewhere around there. No, no, it was maybe April, May. I can't remember. But anyways, we met, I met Benjamin, and I began listening to him, knew him, corresponded with him through the years. And I heard bits and pieces of Benjamin's testimony about all of it somewhere or another through all these years. And Benjamin, I'd like to say one thing. As, for me, a person who was a chronic liar before my conversion. One thing I realized about liars is when you lie all the time, you end up getting jumbled on your own lies. You end up slipping up. We see it happens to the greatest liars we call now the federal government. They slip up all the time and because you can't keep them all straight. And I just want to say, Benjamin, I've never heard you deviate from anything you've ever shared through the years. You may not have shared every piece of it, but I've never heard you deviate through it through the years, and that's always reminded me that, you know what, liars get messed up, but I've never heard that from you, brother, and I just want to say, you know what, God bless you, and you have touched a lot of people through the years, through this story, and I pray that as we get into the show tonight, Benjamin, that you can open us up with some prayer, and that we continue to bless this audience with a word from the Lord about your life. Well, thank you, Frank. It's good to be back, and yeah, let's pray. It's been a it's been a long week. I'll tell you, the enemy was really not happy with that first program because, I mean, that just stirred up the hornet's nest in the spirit. And, you know, we're, the enemy knows the time is short. And it's a lot shorter than most people think, and they know it. And so, you know, they're enraged. They're full of wrath because they know that their time is almost over. And, and so they're battling against the remnant, and they're definitely battling against the word of the Lord. And, and you know, those of us who are, you know, standing up in this hour, it's like we, you know, we have a target on our back. And the spirit world, in terms of the enemy, comes at us. And um, I thank all of you guys who are part of the prayer team. Thank you for praying. It's been so necessary. You know, sometimes, Frank, I feel like a rag doll, you know. In, in literally being torn, you know, by um, powerful kingdoms that are at war. And I, I know that we belong to the Lord and we will prevail, but, you know, there are times when um, it's tough, you know. Yes, it is. As you said, it's not all mountaintop. You know, God gives us those mountaintop times to refresh us, to encourage us, to affirm us. But then he also sends us down into the valley where we are confronted by the enemy. And, you know, that's really where we grow stronger. We'd all love to stay on the mountaintop. And I've had some amazing mountaintop experiences with the Lord. And, you know, I never wanted to come down either. But, you know, it's part of the, I guess, the path that the Lord has ordained. You know, the steps of the righteous are ordained by the Lord. The truth be told, the steps of every man are ordained by the Lord. He's in sovereign control of the entire world. And, you know, he has set the limits and the boundaries. He's numbered the hair on our heads. He's numbered the days. He's numbered the, the, the number of our breaths, even. And so, you know, our lives, in, like everything else in the earth, you know, we truly belong to the Lord. And, you know, we can thank the Lord that, you know, he's chosen us to be his people. 
He's called us Amen. to be his friends, which, you know, that just, every time I think of it, it just, what an honor that God, that Jesus Christ, the very King of Kings, he would have called people like us. You know, we're not the great people. There's not many great, there's not many rich, but the Lord called his little remnant. He called us to be his friends, you know, and no greater honor could be bestowed upon anyone than to be called a friend of God. And so, you know, praise the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we commit this time to you. Lord, anoint the ears of the listeners. And, Lord, I am physically tired, mentally tired. And as Frank said before the program, that's probably a good thing. We don't need me in the way anyway. So, Lord, I pray for your strength, and I pray for the power and the direction of your anointing that the word of truth According to your purpose and your perfect will, will come forth in Jesus' name. Amen. So, part one, we kind of ended with my trip to Israel and um, my little uh, bus transfer. You know, I forgot one of the details, um, actually several details. I was giving really like a gloss over of a, a lot of these testimonies. But in when I was in Israel making my way, or so I thought, to uh, the transfer bus to Jerusalem, and the Lord had told me, Benjamin, you're in the wrong place, get back on the bus. My, the very first thing that I said to the Lord, which I forgot to mention, was, Lord, I have to go back to Jerusalem to get my things, remember? And look, Lord, I checked this map, and, you know, and, and as I said those words, I have to go to Jerusalem to get my things. I knew instantly that was a prophecy. And just it resonated in me. I am prophesying right now that one day I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. And so, you know, I praise God for how He uh, He unveils to us the destiny and the, you know the ministries that He's called us to. And when I got on the bus and I turned to the Israeli woman, and and she confirmed that the the map was wrong, <laughs> and God was right yet again. Right, the Lord's batting a thousand. Uh, the map had a typo in it. The Lord told me, I've sent you to the woman you just spoke to, to her and her family. Well, she invited me to her, stay with her family that night. You know, she asked me, you know, where are you going? Well, I don't really know. i got to go to Jerusalem. Then I'm flying out of Ben-Gurion tomorrow, so I'm going to stay somewhere in Tel Aviv tonight, I guess. Oh, would you please come to my house? My family would be honored. So, you know, I accepted, and she gave me something of directions and Brother, I ended up, you know, I had to go back to Jerusalem, get my luggage, take another bus back out to the coast of Tel Aviv. That whole process, the sun was already going down by the time the Lord um, changed my itinerary and, you know, made me get back on that bus. And so by the time I'm trying to find their home, Frank, I'm literally walking down dirt roads in the dark, and there's like single little light bulbs for street lights. I have no idea where I'm going. I mean, I'm completely lost. And the next thing I know, I'm standing on their front door. Literally, I'm standing at the front door. Mm, wow. And they ha it's 10 o'clock at night by this point. The family has waited to have dinner. They've been sitting there all night waiting for me. And the father, who didn't speak English, he was speaking to me, and his daughter was translating he told me it was the greatest honor of his life to have an American in his home. 
and that we were the only friends that Israel had in the whole earth. And, and I told him, I said, no, no, you've got this backwards. The God of Israel is the true king of the universe, and, you know, I'm the one who's honored to be here in his land and with you who are his people. And, and then uh, Yafa's brother comes in, his name was Ari, and she tells me he was in the 1973 tank war uh, with the Egyptians in the Yom Kippur War, and his entire division was destroyed. Every tank was destroyed. Everybody died. He was the only survivor. And the tank that he was in was hit with an anti-tank missile. It pierced the side of the tank. It literally banged around a few hundred thousand times inside the tank, detonating all of the ammunition inside the tank, He's sitting there, and this hot, white-hot titanium rod is spinning around his head a few thousand times, and all the other ammunition detonates. The tank fills with fire. All the other soldiers turn into charbroiled hamburger. He doesn't have a scratch on him. He literally walks, comes out of that tank, and he walks home from the Sinai. It takes him two weeks. He walks back to his farm outside Tel Aviv, and he tells his parents, I was an atheist, now I know there's a God in Israel. He becomes a devout believer, and here I am, six years later, sitting at his dinner table, bearing witness that Jesus is truly the Messiah. And, and that evening I walked around that farm with Yaffa, the, the, the woman, the daughter of this family that had invited me to stay, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I began to teach from the Old Testament. I was in utter awe of the I wish I had recorded it. it was the most amazing message you know authenticating the lordship and the that the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah and I had a little Hebrew English New Testament that I had brought with me and I gave it to her and she's like oh I've been looking for good books in Hebrew and English to work out my English and so you know the word of God and, and salvation of the God of Israel came to that family that day and and uh, by way of me um, having a uh, the map that was wrong and I'm sure the Lord allowed that title you know the strangest thing Frank I never kept the map I mean you know you, you would think you know that would probably be something cool to hold on to no I mean I guess I you know I don't didn't think of it but anyway back to the end of the age of miracles I want to start with a scripture, Ezekiel 22, verse 14. Can thy heart endure, or can your hands be strong in the days that I deal with you, saith the Lord? I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. And you know, what a question. Can our hearts endure, and can our hands and can our arms be strong in the time when the Lord begins to deal with us? And God has spoken it. And the day is coming for each and every one of us. The you know, multitudes will be found in the valley of decision. You know, God has spoken it. He has ordained it. And it will surely come. The time of great testing is rushing upon us. You know, can we endure? You know, I don't know about you. But for me, the answer is no. Not without God's help, I couldn't endure. And, you know, in reality, when God tested me, and my testing went on for 
Well, I dare say it's not even quite yet over. But it went on for what I call the 30 years of tears, and that's what followed. And it's a little more than 30 years, but you get the point. That's what followed the age of miracles. And, and it all began with a Bible verse. It all began, the end of the age of miracles began with me in prayer and in and, and worship before the Lord and reading Ezekiel chapter 22. And um, in verse 24 we read, Son of man, say unto her, and this is a word that the Lord confirmed to me is also appropriate for America, say unto America, you are a land that is not clean, and nor has the the rain come upon you in the day of indignation. The, the Holy Spirit, the rain of the living water of Almighty God has stopped. There's a drought in the Spirit across this land. And there's a conspiracy among the prophets. Oh, there are many false prophets now. And they're prophesying, you know, America will be great again. You know, God bless and oh, our president. I pray for President Trump. But we are in trouble, and we are not going to be great again. We are headed into the time when the Lord is going to test the people of this nation. And will we endure? Like a roaring lion, they raven for the prey. They have devoured souls. The false prophets have devoured. They've destroyed people. They've taken the treasure. Oh, yeah, they came for the money, and they got it. And ravening prey, they've taken precious things. They've made many widows in the midst thereof. The false prophets brought death. They've literally led people to their ruin. And they show no difference between the unclean and the clean. The princes in the midst of this land are like wolves ravening the prey to shed innocent blood, to destroy souls, and to gather dishonest gain. And the prophets have daubed with untempered mortar, seeing vanity. Oh, yeah, the fireman prophet. Trump's going to save us all. Uh, excuse me, not a chance. It's untempered mortar. It's vanity. They're divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken to them. And the people of the land use oppression, and they exercise robbery, and they vex the poor and the needy. And, yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them who might stand in the hedge, who might take up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for this nation, that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. I read that chapter in 1983, and when I read that final verse, that God had sought for a man who could stand in the gap before the Lord. To stand in the gap, literally, this scripture literally means to someone to come forward and to stand in the very presence of the Lord, and literally to stand between the nation and God as Moses did, or as, as the priests were called to do, to stand and to go before the Lord for, for the people. The ministry of Jesus Christ is the ministry of the high priest. The ministry of the Lord is the ministry of standing in the gap. He stood in the gap for us, that we would not be destroyed. And now God was looking for someone who would stand in the gap for the nation. But in this hour, he found no one. And when I read that verse, I began to weep.
1983. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that verse is prophetic to this generation and to this time at the end of days. And I was completely, I didn't really understand. And I, and I, I said, Lord, I don't understand that you found no one. How is this possible? You know, surely you have your Elijah in this hour. Surely the two witnesses are out there somewhere. Surely there are 7,000 who did not bow their knee to Baal. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, no. They have all gone their own way. The great apostasy, the great falling away has affected everyone. And now, I knew I was sort of a flake, and you know I could wander off without even knowing I was wandering off from the Lord. But I thought for sure there were there were some that were a hundred percent consecrated. And the Spirit said, "No, there are none in this hour." And then the Holy Spirit revealed to me that Jesus was sad. The Lord was personally very upset about this, and he was very grieved, and he was sad. And part of the reason is that he couldn't, there was no one for him to visit when he came to walk the earth, because he can only know the proud from far off. And all of the people were proud now. I began to weep for the Lord. And, I mean, this just crushed me. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I didn't know that you had a problem. I thought you were God in everything. I couldn't imagine that you could have a problem, Lord. But now I know. And I told him, I said, Lord, don't worry. Don't worry, Lord. I'm going to come. I'll help you. I don't know what I can do, but I'll do whatever I can. And I'm going to start by praying for you. I'm going to put you on my prayer list, Lord. And now, this does not fit everybody's theology, okay? I mean, I've had people just sort of go off on me. You know, how, what are you talking about? How is this even possible? But, you know, the Lord said, when you've done this unto the least of my brethren, whatever you've done for the least of my brethren, you've done for me. So if the least of Jesus' brethren are in trouble, if they have a problem, the Lord considers it his problem. And in that sense, it's very real that God has a problem right now. And so does the church. But so I got my little prayer journal out, and I wrote, on the top of page one, I wrote Jesus' name in all caps, large capital letters, Jesus Christ. And I began to pray for the Lord. I began to pray, Lord you deserve a remnant of people that are holy unto you, a remnant of people that are sold out for you, a remnant of people who would come out of Babylon completely and who would repent and touch not the unclean thing. And so I began to pray that the Lord would raise a remnant that would be holy unto him so that he wouldn't be grieved and so that there would be people to stand in the gap so that he wouldn't have to destroy the entire nation. And as I began to pray, the spirit of travailing prayer began to come upon me again. And I began to just be in travail, be in prayer for and maybe an hour to two hours. I don't quite remember the, how long. And But this went on every day for a period of weeks. And, 
and I would intercede and pray that Jesus would lift up a remnant, that he would bring forth a remnant that would comfort him, and that he wouldn't have to be sad. And, you know, after a few weeks of this, my prayers began to change, and I began to pray and say, Lord, if no one else is willing to do this for you, and if it's your will for my life, and if it pleases you, then, Lord, you know, I... I pray that you would do this in my life. But if you want me, Lord, you want me to do this for you, then you're going to have to kill me first. Because in order for me to die to myself and to walk with you on this level, I'm going to need to be dead. Totally. And so I began to pray, Lord, this is your will for my life, and I'm praying for pain and suffering. And I pray for persecution and false accusation. And I pray for persecutions and, and, and for the pain and sorrow necessary to die to myself completely. And Lord, I pray you would bring into my life whatever is necessary for me to be utterly purged of everything that you call self, that I could die to myself completely, that I could then be sanctified to you. And when I would finish this time of prayer each day, I know the Lord didn't appreciate, he doesn't like complainers, so I wouldn't say anything, but I would think to myself, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing in my life? All my friends are praying for a beautiful wife and a, and a good job and a nice house and a pretty baby and a cool car and and maybe some baseball tickets, and Lord, it'd be really great if our team could win. And I'm praying and asking God to kill me. But I didn't do that for me. I, I was praying that prayer for him. And this went on in, in a power of travailing prayer for a couple of weeks. And until one morning I woke up and I, I lived in a brother's house at the time with four other uh, Christian brothers. We all went to the same church together. And um, I thought one of my roommates had played a prank on me because my room had changed color. I had, the walls in my bedroom were blue, only when I woke up, now they were gold. And I'm thinking, what? You know, which one of these characters played this prank on me, and how did they get in here and paint this room while I was asleep and not wake me up. And then I started looking around the room and and I I realized, you know, that's not making any sense because my furniture had changed colors. It was gold and the floor was gold and my bed was gold and then I looked in and I looked at my arms and, and I was gold. And then the gold began to glow. Light started coming out and then I looked to the door, and there was a huge, I would describe it as a small star of burning golden fire, um, probably about seven feet high, uh, right in front of the door so that I couldn't get out of the room. Otherwise, I would have ran for my life because when I saw this fire, I thought to myself, oh, no, God has finally found me, and surely he's going to kill me now. And I realized I couldn't get out of the room because the fire was blocking the door. And so I thought, I better hide under the bed. Well, I'm a quick study, you know. 
I figured out immediately, you know, the Lord's going to see you under the bed. You can't hide from God. And besides, he knows whose room he's in. There's no hiding under the bed from the Lord. And so I pulled the covers up to my cheek, and I'm, I'm trembling in fear, staring into the burning fire of the presence of the Spirit of God. And it's a beautiful golden fire. And you do not speak first when in the presence of the Spirit of God. You wait. You're unable to speak. You wait for the Lord. And the Lord waited a good long while, and I just sat there trembling. Finally, the Lord said to me, I'm going to take your entire life from you now, and you have a choice. You can either come willingly or I will take it by force. We've all heard the teaching that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. You know, the God, you know, who's he, going to, you know, wait for you to decide. Well, listen, uh, no, the Holy Spirit is not a gentle man. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Almighty God. And Father God is Almighty. He's God Almighty. And Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. And He's the Lord of Lords. And He's the King over the entire creation. And there are times when the Lord does what the Lord wants to do. And he doesn't ask for my permission, and he doesn't ask you. And in this case, he told me, I am taking your entire life from you, and you have a choice. Either come willingly, or I will take it by force. And then he said to me, and you think you've seen hard times. And I did. At that point in my life, I thought I had been through a hard childhood. I lived in South Chicago in a pretty nasty, dangerous neighborhood, and I lived in a house that was even scarier. And um, I could tell some stories and get all the women in the church crying, probably half the men as well. And so I thought I'd seen hard times. And the Lord said to me, you think you've seen hard times. But I tell you, no, you have not seen hard times. The times you thought were hard, I was covering you with the mercies of my hand. But I will bring hard times upon you now, because I'm taking your entire life from you. And you have a choice. Well, at that point, I thought, you know, I better think about this. You know, before I go off and answer God, I better think about this for a minute and, and um, be pretty wise with what I decide to say. So I thought about it before I responded. And, and I finally answered the Lord. I said, Lord, I believe you. I thought I'd seen hard times. Now I know I didn't. Uh, and I don't even want to know what hard times look like. If I haven't seen hard times, I don't even want to go there, God, because that's beyond anything I can even cope with. I said, so I greatly fear your words to me this day. And I said, Lord, I would love to believe that I could go with you. I would love to believe that I could just simply follow you. And, and I, could even, I could even believe it. I could say, sure, Lord, and I'll, I'll, you can have my entire life now, and, and I'll go with you. Yeah, Lord, let's go. It'll be great. I said, but Lord, you would know that I was lying, because eventually there would come a day I would wake up in the morning and I would think to myself, what do I want to do today? And I'd probably watch football or something on TV, right? Just kind of like everybody's normal day. 
Same thing you do mostly every day. I would eventually do it too. And I wouldn't be asking the Lord, what is it you want me to do today? So I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'd, I'd love to tell you that I could come, that I would come. But you would know. You'd know I was lying, Lord. I'm unable to come. I'm a wicked man. Eventually I would end up going back to my own way. I'd wander off. And not into over sin, just into doing what's right in my eyes. Like we all do pretty much every day of our lives. So I said, Lord, I'm I'm unable to come and I greatly fear the the hard times that you discussed. So I thought I had gotten clever. I mean I I actually had a strategy, you know. <laughs> I thought I'll be honest with the Lord and then I'll cut myself a little bit of a different deal. I said, Lord, if it pleases you, can I ask for a third choice? Because I already admitted to God, well, the first choice is out of the question. I'm incapable of it. And he told me I would get a choice, so maybe he'll give me a third choice. So I said, Lord, if it pleases you, can I ask for a third choice? Can you do the work that must be done in me through grace instead of force? And I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm being smart. I mean, I, you guys, I wasn't trying to be a wiseacre. I, I was terrified for my life, but I thought I was kind of like getting out of, you know, what was going to be a real rough situation for me. I said, Lord, can you do the work by grace? And God, he responded and he said, you have answered well. And then the glory of the Lord departed. And I thought to myself, yes, I don't know what just happened, but I think it was probably important. And God said I got a good answer. And when I look back, I had no idea what I had just asked the Lord for. I mean, I thought I was skating, you know. Oh, God will just do this by grace. You know, this is going to be easy street for me. Forget the hard times. You know, God will just do this work of grace in my heart, and that'll be that, and then I'll be good to go. Well, had I known what I'd asked the Lord to do, I, I would have probably, I think I would have rather just requested a firing squad. I think it would have been a lot easier. Just simply just said, God, can't you just bring a firing squad and just do this in one day? Because by asking the Lord to do this work through grace, I had the source of God's grace, I mean, where does his grace come from, right? Why does God even give us grace? I mean, what is grace anyway? Well, you know, it's this unmerited favor stuff, right? It's like we really deserve that, you know, his judgment, but instead he turns around and he shows us mercy, you know, well, and favor you know, and, and, and not just once, but a lifetime of his mercy, a lifetime of forgiveness. And why does God do that? You know, what's up with the Lord, you know, that he's handing out this grace thing? Well, it's because of his love. He loves us. He's absolutely in love with his people. He loves us more than we can even imagine. I had inadvertently asked God to kill me with love. Or a, sort of a short version of it was, Lord, why don't you you know, bring me to the end of myself through a, a broken heart? Yeah, instead of the, the hard times you know, in the outer man, 
why don't you just do it to me in the heart? I, it's quite a way to go, my friends. But it's also, it's quite a road to walk. So at that point, the years of tears began. And um, it wasn't but a few weeks, and I met my ex-wife. And we went and ended up going on a mission trip with her. She was part of a mission uh, outreach, and my sister went, and I went on a mission trip, and we went to Bali, Indonesia, of all places. And then as we were preparing to go, the Lord told me, this mission trip will be like the children's crusade. If you know anything about the children's crusade, it was a complete disaster, and the children were all either killed or taken into slavery. And, and so the mission trip as well was a complete disaster, and quite a few people died. We went up against spiritual forces that we were not prepared for, and people lost their lives. Quite a few people on this team died shortly. Within a year, a couple of years of getting back to the States, people were getting killed by stalkers, by accidents. By... It was like the children's crusade. And I got married. And then in, in 1983, and then in 1985, I got a new job with a company, a big, big company on the West Coast, and I was there direct, hired as director of taxation. And, and literally within a few days almost of, of this new job, the company had a major legal tax problem occur, or it, we became aware of it. I actually found it. And it involved um, application of Internal Revenue Code Section 267 attribution between related parties. And if there's any tax experts listening, any tax attorneys or, or you know, technical tax people or anybody that cares to check me out, you, you, know, actually, you could probably go find Internal Revenue Code Section 267 on the Internet. And, you, you know, it's just a couple sentences. Um, <laughs> you could try to read it for yourself. But what this code section did is it uh, attributed ownership of stock in corporations between shareholders who were also partners. And so my new company that I was working for, the ownership of the company, it was a private corporation, 70% of the stock was owned by the founder, and the other 30% was owned by all of the management team. And, you know, mostly they were really little small 1%, 2%, you know, all of the management personnel, though, had a very small vested interest in the company. And under 267, because all of these shareholders were also investors together in a number of real estate investment partnerships, the shareholders were also partners with each other. And under the attribution rules of 267, the stock owned by a shareholder is attributed or it's counted as if it's owned by the other shareholders if they both happen to be partners in a separate partnership. And that's exactly the facts I had. All the shareholders were all partners in outside partnerships. And as a result, everybody's stock was attributed to each other. And that included the stock of the chairman who owns 70%. And under 267, if you are deemed to be more than a 50% shareholder, there's limitations that are imposed on the ability to accrue or to take certain deductions. 
And as a result, we had a huge disallowance of a deduction. We had a huge underpayment penalty, and it was a major money. It was, you know, multiple millions. And I got our lawyers involved, spent two weeks working on this. There was no solution. And after two weeks of working on this problem and concluding there's nothing in the tax code that can fix this, I went to the president of the company, and I said, you know, we've exhausted all of our resources. We've examined every legal authority. I've read every single document relevant that's precedental and relevant to this issue, and there is no solution. We are simply out of luck. I said, the only person that can help us is Jesus Christ. And I can hear from the Lord, and I don't know if God can fix this or not, but I'm going to go home this weekend, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Lord, is there a solution to Internal Revenue Code Section 267 that will save this company what was going to be a major financial loss? And he kind of looked at me like, well, that's a unique, it's different, right? Not too many people ask God for the solutions to complex internal revenue code problems, but I had nowhere else to go. Probably should have started with the Lord, really could have saved two weeks of hard work, but um, I went home and I prayed Friday night, prayed Saturday morning, spent an hour in prayer in the morning, another hour in prayer in the afternoon, an hour in prayer Saturday night, prayed again Sunday morning, again Sunday afternoon, again Sunday night, you know, devoted the whole weekend to prayer, really, and I had not heard from the Lord. Nothing. Now, a lot of people today tell you, I heard from the Lord, and he told me to go to lunch with you, and he told me you're going to buy lunch. (laughs) Yeah, right, and how do you prove if that's real? You know, I'm highly suspicious. I mean, you know, I understand the skepticism of people, and it, unless a word is confirmed, you shouldn't just receive it, okay? But I'm sitting there Sunday night. I haven't heard a word. I didn't understand. I thought, you know, what did I do? Did I offend the Lord? Suddenly he's not talking to me. And I'm a bit of an overachiever, um, and I'm also a bit of um, I'm overly dedicated to my friends. I'm overly dedicated to the Lord. I'm just one of those zealots of the zealots. And so by Sunday night, I've not heard from God. I'm, I am so upset. I'm like, I'm literally, I can't sleep. I'm laying in my bed. I get up at like five in the morning to go to work. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm practically in tears. And I'm like, Lord, I don't understand. I'm, I prayed all weekend and, and Lord, you didn't why won't you answer me? And did I do something to offend you? I mean, I couldn't tell what was the problem. And, um, and suddenly he spoke to me. And he said to me, have you considered you live in a community property state? California was a community property state. I said, no, Lord. What does that matter? <laughs> and the Lord said, you're a smart kid. This is verbatim, you guys. I was like 27 years old. I'm the director of taxation for one of these huge companies, and the Lord calls me a kid. But, you know, I mean, that's I'm sure it was accurate. You're a smart kid, he said. You can figure it out. Go and work on it again. So I jump out of bed. I run down to my office. I get the code out, 
and I'm, you know, I'm reading 267, you know, if shareholders of a corporation are also partners and the lights go on, I go, wait a minute. In a community property state, Peter doesn't own 70% of the stock. He's married. Gail owns 35%. It's not just Peter's company. His wife owns half of the company. But under the community property law, the wives are not, they've not been admitted to the partnerships. They all signed spousal consents, basically acknowledging, even though my husband is a partner in this partnership, and even though this may be a community asset and I may have a community interest, I'm not a partner. So... The 50% of the stock that was owned by all these wives, you take it off the table for this calculation. Suddenly, nobody's related. <laughs> Boom. Problem solved. Deduction recovered. And probably a quarter of a million or more in penalties abated. I'm so excited. I get to work the next morning, and I call the lawyers who are some of the top tax people in the whole country, big L.A. law firm, they're like, you're a genius. Nobody's ever thought of this before. I'm like, well, you know, thanks. It really wasn't me. I go into the president and I tell him, hey, you know, the Lord told me we're in a community property state, and that means a wife's stock doesn't count, and the lawyers, they think I'm a genius, but I didn't really do this. I'm not that smart. But the Lord told me, you know, and he's the one who fixes for us, and guess what? God saved it. Now, some people have really mocked me for this, like, you know, why, why would God be concerned about business or, you know? I mean, the Lord's concerned about every detail of our life, but, the, you know, the mockers and scoffers really tore me up on this one um, in all these chat rooms. And, you know, they didn't realize that the, the man that I was working for, um, he donates virtually 100% of his after-tax wealth to Christian missions and to building hospitals. That's the reason I went to work for the guy. This was kingdom money we're talking about. So why would God care about saving a couple million dollars of kingdom cash? I don't know. The Lord's busy, you know? Something about um, the 500 missionary outreaches we were financing, or maybe it was the hospitals we were building. I don't know. We had a reason to need the money. And so the Lord intervened. But, you know, God did something else that day, too. Because when I walked into the president's office and I told him, you know, this is what happened, he's like, that's great, you know, good job. You know, he starts congratulating me. And I said to him, like, oh, look, you know, thank you very much, but I can't take credit for this. I didn't do this. The Lord did this for us. All I did was pray. He looks at me and he says, that's okay. You just keep praying. (laughs) And um, and so I did. But it was proof to these men that I truly did hear from the Lord. Because later in my career, God was going to again speak, and I would again bring a word from God to the leadership of this company. And they had this confirmation. Now, You know, that was a witness that God wanted to provide to them. And I guess he wanted it to be part of my testimony. And um, that was in like the 1985 period. And um, 
six years later in July of 1991, I was in, I was sent to Princeton University for a, I think it was a two week business management conference. And, um, while I was in Princeton, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. I mean, literally, the lights went out in my hotel room every single day. And it was just one thing after another. The very last night in New York, none of my credit cards worked anymore. I tried to get money out of my bank account. Every bank account was empty. My credit was gone. I had theater tickets. I was there with a friend, and we were going to go to a Broadway show. The... um the Secret Garden, which was a powerful, powerful story, if you guys know it. And we went back to the hotel, and my door lock wouldn't work. And the hotel had to come and take the door off of my room for us to get in to get the tickets. And we finally got the tickets, and we got on the elevator to go down to the lobby to go to the theater, and the elevator broke. And we got stuck in the elevator, okay? I mean, so, and that's just a small snapshot of, I had literally two weeks of everything that could go wrong, did go wrong. Finally, on the plane ride home, I get on the airplane in New York to fly back to California, and my my boarding pass was row nine, seat C. You know how when you get on the airplane, you're always counting the rows, you know, you're like six, seven, eight, ten. Like, wait a minute, <laughs> what, how did I do this wrong? Seven, eight, the bathroom, and ten. They had changed the equipment. They changed the aircraft, and and my seat assignment was now basically the lavatory. And so I end up in the very back of the plane, sitting there with some other guy, and I'm telling him the story of this this period of time. And, I mean, it literally, I'm blowing this guy's mind with all the things that happened. It was hilarious. And as we're landing in Orange County, California, I turned to him. I said, you know, I'm so glad this trip's over. And you know, I'm so glad I'm almost home. And, you know, because it's really been like the worst period, worst two weeks of my life. You know, although I figured out it was being done to me in the spirit. And so, you know, I just sort of laughed it off, you know, but missing every bus connection. I mean, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And I knew it was being done to me the whole time. And then as we're landing, I the plane's coming down to land. I turn and I go, you know, maybe I'm speaking too soon. We haven't actually landed yet. You know, judging from the, the last two weeks of my life, this plane could crash. I go, but don't worry, there's a call of God on my life, and if the plane crashes, you're sitting next to me. Our seats will just be bouncing down the runway. We're going to be fine. And so we landed, and I walked off the airplane, and here's the, here's the service people, you know, and I'm served divorce papers, and, and they throw a big carry-on luggage bag in, at me, and all my personal possessions are all mixed in with toothpaste and shaving cream and Everything was destroyed, and I literally took it all and dropped it in the trash bin on my way out of the airport. And um, I never, never went home. In a lot of ways, I, I can't fill in all the details, but in a lot of ways, it almost feels like I've never been home since. That night, I stayed at a friend's house, and... Um, I woke up in the middle of the night, and 
I, I couldn't remember, was I still in Princeton or am, am I in California? I'm in some strange room. I don't even know where, where I am. All I knew is my, my children, ages one to five, were lost. I knew something had happened, and I'd lost my kids. And I was terrified. And then the Lord put his hand on me, and he pushed me into the mattress. And I couldn't move a pinky. I literally could not move any, even a finger. And he said to me, he spoke audibly, he said, I'm going to use you like I used Joseph. And I'm going to do in your life what I did in his. And then I, you know, I have my typical stupid response. I look back at the, some of the things I said to the Lord. I'm like, man, what a knucklehead. But anyway, I, I said to the Lord, I go, oh, no, Lord. You know, does that mean I have to go to jail? I don't want to go to jail, Lord. Why can't you use me like David or like Samuel or something? Why does it have to be Joseph? I mean, that didn't really sound very appealing. And then in the background, there had been a radio on playing in the background, and a new program came on, and the pastor says, you know, now we're going to do a Bible study on the life of Joseph. God literally kept me mushed into the bed the whole time while I listened to this. And that was July of 1991. And, um, Frank, let's do a time check, because I think I've burned up the better part of our first hour. How do you want to handle this? Because I probably have, oh, I, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes left. Yeah, we got 36 minutes, if we're going 90 minutes on this one. We got 36? Okay, I'll try yep. to be brief. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, it wasn't uh, at that point. I lost my kids, my house. It looked like everything. Um, but the Lord was, you know, he was with me, and I, I persevered. And um, I ended up meeting a, a beautiful woman at church, and, you know, she became my fiance, And life was looking great. Uh, it was a couple of years, and, and the president of this company calls me into his office, and he says, this is going to be just like the proverb in the Bible. I'm the Lord, and you're the steward, and your Lord is going on a two-year sabbatical to Europe, and you are going to be given power of attorney over all of my affairs. And when your Lord returns, you will give a full account. And he literally... I was literally put in the position of running, like Joseph in Potiphar's house. I was given basically power of attorney over pretty sizable empire of operating businesses and and office buildings and industrial parks and shopping centers and and I ran this stuff for two years. All the president of the company was actually on a sabbatical, and he was in living in Spain seeking to hear from the Lord. His wife and him had gone on a two-year sabbatical to devote themselves to fasting and prayer and to studying the scriptures and to seeking to hear from God. And um, by late, he came back in um, 1995, late 94. And when he got back, I was promoted to director of investments 
in this company, and I was placed in charge. I was given direct authority over several Christian foundations and also the company's pension plan. And and uh, the president told the board of directors he realized he was had been several steps behind me over the years I've been working there, and and that he finally understood that. I actually knew more about these subjects than they did, and that I was the right guy to actually be in charge of all the retirement money for all of the employees, and also uh, sizable uh, endowment portfolios for for Christian missions. And I literally got placed in authority the next day. I mean, they, he called me in. He said, "I'm promoting you. You're now director of investments, and here and we're signing the papers, and you're in charge tomorrow morning. It's live action." And I mean, I literally felt like I had literally been thrown into the Iraq air war and I'm flying an F-16 over Iraq and surface-to-air missiles are coming at me. Because when you're managing money professionally, it's a lot like warfare. You wouldn't know that until you've done it, but believe me, it is a battle. And, you know, when you're running money, um, you can't hide your mistakes because your portfolio is marked to market every single day. You know whether you made money or lost money, and and suddenly I'm now running. Uh, it wasn't the entire pension plan, but I was running a third of the equity position, and it was many, many millions of dollars. And it was for my own company, and a lot of these people were my friends. And suddenly, their retirement is in my hands. I mess up; they're eating dog food, and you know I've got all this mission money. I mess up, and we're not buying those Bibles. You know, so I tell you the truth, you guys, I was scared. I mean, I had all the advanced training. I, I had the, I was a chartered financial analyst at that point. I pretty much knew what I was doing, but you know, I went from a spectator to okay, you're starting, you know, you're starting quarterback in the NFL, and then they're trying to kill you. And so I went down to my office. You know, as soon as I got this promotion, I I literally got on my face and I prayed. I said, Oh Lord. You know, don't let me lose this money. Be with me, God. Give me wisdom. I don't want to, you know, I I don't want to be the steward who loses the Lord's investment. So I prayed, and, and the Lord blessed my work. And in the first year, um, my portfolio was up 57% in a market that was up 35 That put me in the top 1% of all professional money managers in the world, and I was on my way to being a superstar. And I'm thinking, you know, after three years, they, I can go to Wall Street, and they'll open a mutual fund, and they can claim all my performance numbers, and, you know, billions of dollars will flow in, and I'll be trading stocks from my mega yacht in the Mediterranean by day, and then I'll, I'll take my jet boat to Monte Carlo at night, and, you know, this is going to be great, right? Only one thing happened. The market hit peak valuation metrics by late 95, early 96, and suddenly... I was in a market that was getting kind of risky based on historic measures. It was literally the same values where it had crashed in 29 and it had crashed in 87. And now we're right pushing up against these overvaluation metrics. And, you know, what do I do? When you're running the money professionally, you can't get out early or it's your career. But you don't want to lose your client's money either. And so I began to pray diligently. And throughout all of 1996, I spent every morning, I'd get to work about 5 a.m., and I would spend the first part of my day on my face in my office crying out, Lord, show me the end of this matter. Lord, don't, don't let me lose all this money. And I literally 
I had an investment committee that I reported to every two weeks, and you because know, not everybody was excited about this young forty-year-old guy um, running the pension money. And so I had my babysitters, my investment committee, and every two weeks I'd have to show them, you know, what did I do and why. And I began to tell them, you know, the market's at these dangerous valuation levels, but I'm praying and I'm going to, you know, I believe the Lord will speak to me and tell me when to get out of the market and we're going to stay fully invested. And, you know, the yen carry trade was underway and we were looking at probably the biggest bubble in, in financial history actually occurring. And so perhaps the market could go quite a bit higher. There'd be no way to tell when it would crash because the game's rigged anyway by the insiders who control the, you know, the money flow through the Fed. And so, only the Lord could tell us when to get out. And so I was just content to pray, and I would stay invested. And so for an entire year, I would meet these guys, and every few weeks, you know, I'd tell them, you know, I haven't heard anything from the Lord, but I believe he's going to speak to me before the market crashes. And so, you know, we'll stay long. We'll stay invested. And then I turned 40 in October of that year. And 40 days after my 40th birthday in the middle of November, I heard from the Lord. And he answered me literally. I'd been praying, Lord, show me the end of this matter. Well, he did. He, he literally showed me because he translated me right out of my living room into the future. And, you know, I have to back up. I had been on the telephone actually talking with a girl that was my fiance at the time. And, and she had made a comment to me that just broke my heart. And when she did, all of a sudden I saw in the spirit this really big heart, and then I, I could see this crack begin to just break. I could hear it going, <laughs> this crack went all the way down to the bottom of this heart, and then these really big hands reached in and grabbed both edges of this broken heart and just ripped it wide open. And as my heart was ripped wide open, I stepped right into the future. And I was in a detention camp with thousands of other Christian families who were being detained. They were being processed into a concentration camp, and they were taking the little children from the mothers. They were taking the wives from the husbands, and I was there. They were taking my kids. They were taking my wife. And I knew what was going to happen to my wife, to my kids. And I couldn't do anything to protect them. And this event, which was real, this was not a vision. You guys, I was there, okay? I couldn't remember I'd just been in my living room. This pierced my heart. It was like a sword that cut my heart so deep, and it was so painful. I couldn't imagine this level of emotional pain could exist on this planet. And I'd already been through... Ten years of the fire, I'd already had my ex-wife move two doors down into a neighbor's house. I'd already had my kids molested. I'd already been through excommunication for false reasons and, you know, on and on and on. And I won't even bore you with all of the details. But I'd already been crushed beyond grief, and this was a level I'd never seen. It cut so deep, and it hurt so bad that it began to feel good because it produced in me a repentance at a level I had never even touched 
before in my life. And then I was translated right back into my living room. And as soon as I arrived back in the living room, I fell on my face, weeping and screaming. And I cried out. I said, Lord, what must we do to be saved from these judgments? And I could tell that Jesus was standing in the room. I didn't see him, but it was as if I had my hands. And I'm on my face on the floor, and my hands were, and my arms were over my head, and my hands were literally at the feet of Jesus. And I heard the Lord speak audibly, and I was hysterical. I'm weeping and I'm screaming hysterically. And the Lord is so calm. He answers me and he says, I will protect that which is mine. And everything else will be destroyed. And he, he said that destroyed word so loud. I can't even like yell that loud. But, but God, he can get loud. And he, he was loud when he said everything else will will be destroyed. It was his, I got the impression he had slammed his fist on, the, on his desk, you know, in his office in heaven. And he wanted me to know he really meant it. He's going to protect that which is his, and everything else is done, people. And then I said, Lord, I need to know what to do, and I can't hear from man in this hour. I must hear from you. And then the Lord answered, and he said, search the scriptures. For the detailed instructions for this hour are in the Word of God. And I thought, well, that's good. You know, if we find it in the Bible, we can trust it. We know the Bible is the Word of God. You know, if we hear it from some man, you know, somebody had a dream, well, that's great, you know. Somebody, you know, they, they claim they heard a word, wonderful. But until it's confirmed, we don't know if it's really from the Lord. And if you just assume, boy, oh boy, you're going to really wish you didn't. That's called presumption, and it's a felony in the kingdom, and you guys should quit doing it. Because that's how the false prophets made many widows in the land of Israel. But at that point, I went back to, um, I went back to work, and I told them. I said, well, I've heard from the Lord. I went into the chief financial officer. He was one of my investment committee members. And I said, well, I, I, I heard from the Lord. He said, oh, you did? Did he say to sell the stocks? No, he didn't even talk about the stock market. He said he was going to judge the church, and then he was going to judge America, and then he's judging the world. And Jesus is coming, and there is trouble ahead for the church in America. And this guy's name was Ken. Ken said he was actually a good friend of mine. Um, he liked me a lot, and we really had to, you know, work together and had a great time. And he's like, "Whoa, whoa, let's let's not tell anybody about this. Let's pray about what to do with this information." He was trying to protect me because, you know, the average person would think, you know, I went crazy or something. And I'm like, "Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's pray about it. I won't tell anyone." And so, um, I didn't tell anybody until about a week later. I was delivering my my annual presentation to each of the regional offices and and i was in the san diego region and as i'm finishing my one-hour meeting i hear from the back of the room i wish to speak to this people and i'm thinking why did god say this people i would say these people is that even good grammar and i'm thinking well forget the grammar issue uh i don't really know what god's going to say but i have a funny feeling that uh, I'm about to get into a lot of trouble because I don't think they're going to like what 
he says. And, and yeah, sure enough, um, I told him, you know, I'd been praying and recently heard from the Lord, and it, was, it wasn't the right time or place for me to tell people what the Lord had said, but if they're Christians, they should ask God for themselves. You really want to know what the Lord's saying in heaven right now, because it's real important. And um, at that point, the Holy Spirit began to touch my heart, and I remembered what I'd seen, you know. And, I mean, every time I would recall this incident of being translated into the future, I would start weeping. I mean, it was too intense to handle, you know. And so I began to weep, you know, and the weeping turned in literally into wailing. And I fulfilled the prophecy in the book of Joel where it says, Wail before the great and awesome day of the Lord, because I fell face flat on this conference room table, and I screamed bloody murder. And then the Lord shouted at me, stand on your feet. And so I stood up, and I raised my right hand towards heaven, and in a loud voice I shouted, the Lord God Almighty is standing now, ready to judge the entire earth. I slammed my fist on the table so hard I, I thought I might break it, and that ended the meeting. They didn't want to let me drive home. I convinced him I'm going to be fine. It's my friends I'm worried about. And and um, by the time I got home, I, I said, Lord, what did you just do to my life? And he said to me, they're going to fire you. But don't be afraid. You're not getting fired. You're getting delivered. So I thought, okay, you know, judgment day of God has come. I'm going to lose my job. Who cares, you know? Everybody's going to lose everything soon enough anyway. And and so they did. They put me on leave of absence, and then they asked for my resignation, and uh, and they fired me. And, and um, somebody. And then, of course, the funny thing is, I'm still working for them today, 22 years later, as a consultant. So you know, God's word was fulfilled per- perfectly. They're going to fire you, but you're not getting fired. I got fired, and I didn't get fired. And who can do that but the Lord, right? And so. Um, the Lord told me to search the scriptures. I had all the time in the world, having been fired from my job. And so the, the scriptures began opening up to me, and I know the unsealing was occurring right before my eyes. And I, I started writing letters, you know, and trying to tell people what I was finding in the Word. And, you know, one of my friends said, you know, maybe, um, maybe you should write a book, and um, you should pray about it. And I did, and the Lord said, yes, write a book. And, and I sat down a, at a computer in, a, in the early morning, you know, and... Um, it was actually right at the Passover and that the book started, and I, I literally said, Lord, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even have a title. I looked down at my Bible, and I saw the scripture, The Day of the Lord is at Hand, and I thought, that's a perfect title. And, and so it went from there, and for seven weeks, I typed that book around the clock. I mean, literally. I would get on normally about two hours of sleep a night. I'd be working until midnight, and then two in the morning, the Lord, wake me up, get up and work, you know, you have to work, and I would be so tired, you know, I would literally several nights, I remember saying, Lord, you know, can I please sleep just a little bit more, no, you have to get up and work, pray and I'll strengthen you, and I can remember I could hardly lift my hands, I was so tired, and I would would just say, Father, in Jesus' name, and a tidal wave of the Holy Spirit would hit me, and I would just jump out of bed, fully energized, totally refreshed. Well, let's go type for another 20 hours. And so the book, The Day of the Lord, came into being. And You know, and in the first edition, I thought that Judgment Day was going to be like, you know, within the next 10 years or so. I thought it was upon us. 
You know, and, and, and some of my critics will tell you, yeah, you know, when, when the Lord translated Benjamin into the future in 1996, and God told him the judgment was coming, you know, and it was coming soon, the Lord told me. At one point, this is like a few days after I got fired, or I was on leave of absence initially, he woke me up at 4.30 in the morning, and he said, I want you to call Doug, one of the executives at this company, I want you to call Doug and tell him to get up and pray for the days of ease are ending soon. And I'm like, I mean, I'm half awake, half asleep. I'm like, what? Shaking my head, you know, I must be crazy, you know. And I, was, I went and got in the shower, and again, it's, you know, call Doug, you know. And I mean, I literally didn't want to do it. I go, Lord, you know, they already think I'm crazy. Now you want me waking them up? And, you know, now it's like 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, seriously? Call Doug. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, as you can see, I'm not always the most instantly obedient, you know. I'm, I have to repent of that. But, I, you know, honestly, it was hard to even believe, you know. Really? You want me calling someone at 430? Okay. I call him, you know, hey, Doug, you know, he wakes up all half asleep. Doug, the Lord told me to call you and, and to tell you to get up and pray for the days of ease are ending soon. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. What? Thanks a lot, right? I'm thinking he's going to be mad at me. No. Turns out he needed to wake up. He forgot to set his alarm. But, you know, yeah, I thought the days of ease were ending soon. I didn't know soon meant 22 years on God's calendar. And so it is, you know. And, boy, you know, that seems to be a common um, misperception on the part of people that hear or receive warnings from the Lord. They think it's going to happen a lot sooner than it does, but it doesn't invalidate the warning. And so, um, I, by 1997, I'd lost my job, with it my house, uh, I'd gotten divorced, um, the Lord pretty much had me give away most of uh, what was left of my savings, um, my children and uh, my fiance, um, they were they were all gone in the span of about. Actually, it was the, it, the final stripping took place over a weekend. My kids <laughs> moved out of state. My house closed. I, it was upside down and couldn't keep the house. And, and then the next day, my fiancé left. And I was left to nothing. And um, I was literally praying about what to do and... You know, should I stay in this area? Should I move to another another location? And um, you know, I was going to the same conference that I'd gone to years before, where we spent the time in prayer. And and um, I was asking the Lord, you know, God, you know, confirm, you know, confirm your word to me. Send me a prophet, or have a speaker teach on moving, or you know. Give me confirmation that I'm really hearing from you correctly. And and it, so I'm at this conference, and the last day at lunch, one of the people came up to me and says, you know, the Lord told me to speak to you. And the Lord says to you, when are you going to begin to teach my people? I've called you to teach my people. And don't be afraid. I'm going to cover you with my hand, and no one can touch you. And, you know, and then when they left, I thought, well, you know, that's nice. Um, how do I know that's a real prophet, though? I said, Lord, if that's a real prophet, then send, in, send another prophet. And so I go walking outside of this restaurant, and some guy comes up to me. He's like, so uh, has Jesus Christ given you everything yet? 
you guys remember from part one, that was one of the things that I was told in prophecy years earlier. The Lord's going to give you everything. And, and so here he's like, has Jesus given you everything yet? And I said, no, um, actually at this point he's taken everything away from me. I've been stripped down to nothing. And he looks at me and goes, that's right. The Lord sent people to take from you because you were proud. And the Lord had to humble you. But now God's going to send people to give into your life. And you're still going to be sent to the kings of the earth. And he turns and walks away. That's when I'm like, okay, yeah, I got the king's assignment thing clear enough. I walk into the final session of this conference, and the speaker stands, and he says, I had a wonderful message today, but God just told me I can't preach it. Instead, I'm going to be talking about moving. I don't know who you are. God said there's somebody in this audience. You asked for a confirmation that you're supposed to move, and then I have to do a message about moving. And that's what confirmation looks like, and don't be afraid to ask for more than one. And so, you know, so it went. You know, in the interest of brevity, I'll share one other thing that happened in that window of time. Um, I began to come down with some kind of uh, strange foot disorder, um, and my feet, I, I began to experience what I thought was a disease of some type where my feet began to literally burn. And um, it was serious enough that I went to the pharmacy and I started trying all these different foot products, and, and it was so serious that I couldn't even keep my shoes on at work. I'd have my feet in front of the air conditioning vent. When I'm driving in my car, I was putting my feet out the windows. And at night, I couldn't have the covers on. I'd be laying in bed, my feet in the open air, and I could feel flames licking them. This went on for like seven days, and I'm talking to a friend of mine from church. I'm like, man, I got this strange foot disease. My feet are literally burning. It's terrible. And he's like, hey, you know, so-and-so, they've got, he mentioned a Christian couple, that I knew, you know, I knew them as more acquaintances. They have a powerful healing ministry. Why don't you call them? I'm sure they'll pray for you. So I did, and they're like, yeah, come on over. I went over to have them pray, and as soon as they started praying, the fire got hotter. I, I said, stop. It's getting worse. You know, please stop praying. And that night, the fire stopped, and they called me in the morning. They're like, hey, we were at, we were at the Sunday service last night at church. I was also attending that church, and the pastor stood up and he said, there's a brother in our congregation and his feet have been on fire with the anointing of the Holy Spirit for seven days as a, as a witness, as a testimony that he's going to be sent by the Lord to the nations. And they're like, we know who that is. We pray for him today. And, um, you know, God continued to confirm his word. By 2001, six weeks before 9-11, I was given a dream in which... I saw our country attacked by United and American Airlines, and, and I literally ran around telling everyone I knew, we're about to be attacked by planes from United and American Airlines, and it's going to start the next war, and the war is going to end in a global thermonuclear war. And I had seen the fallout. I'd seen the bombs dropped on the American cities, and I'd caught the fallout in my hands in this dream, and it was like chipped paint, whitish gray with colors, browns, yellows, and oranges of the crystallized minerals all contorted. and I described them to my friend Jeffrey Nyquist. And Jeff's like, have you been to any atomic tests? You know, Have you actually seen fallout before? No, never. You just described it perfectly. Six weeks later, boom, 9-11, and my phone's ringing off the hook all day. And um, you know, then the book came out, and I was invited on prophecy tours, Frank mentioned, and... and um, 
God just continued to open doors and 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 also provide amazing confirmations to His Word. And you know, I remember when I would go speak, I you know, even when I do these little YouTube messages, I usually just pray, Lord, they're Your people. You know, they've come to hear from You, not me. And I can talk to them for you if you wish, but it's it's always so much better when we hear from you. And while on tour, the Lord took that opportunity, and we heard from the Lord, and people began following me from city to city. And you know, on the fourth night of the tour, I recognized half the audience. You speak, how many of you were in what? All four of the prior cities? You know. You've dropped what you're doing, and you're driving around all over the Midwest because we're hearing from the Lord, you know, and I'm the least of the saints. And maybe that's why he gave me the nod for the job. But there was one occasion where I was speaking to a young singles group, and, and the Lord let me go up by myself. And it really, I was fumbling around, and I lost the audience, and they were laughing you know, just under their breath, the girls were giggling and elbowing each other, and everybody thought I was like the latest Looney Tune guy to come into town. And and um, then the Lord put his hand on my shoulder, and he, he, he spoke to me, and he said, I'll take the conversation from here. And I thought, good thing, they're not listening to me anyway. And at that point, the topic changed. I began to speak with authority, and I raised my hand, I raised four fingers in my right hand, and, and I said, the first four judgments are ready to begin. They're ready to come upon you even now. And I walked into the crowd. I grabbed one of the guys by his upper uh, left arm, and I said, and the four judgments are going to come forth just like on your arm, brother. And I'm hitting him in the arm really pretty hard. And he turns and runs out of there. Somebody chases him. The guy comes back minutes later. How did you know about his arm? I couldn't even remember doing this. Then he reminded me, I said, well, yes, I remember doing that now, but I don't know anything. Well, he's got a tattoo of the four horsemen of the book of Revelation on his arm. And in the back of this crowd, some guy stands up and starts waving his arms and yelling, I'm a Navy SEAL, I've been in the military eight years, and he broke down weeping as he shouted, and everything this man said is true. Now that's what I call confirmation. Every word will be confirmed by two or more witnesses. The little tattoo on the shoulder, and this guy had a jacket on, so I, I didn't know he had a tattoo, as well as the word of knowledge spoken by that Navy SEAL. Those are the confirmations that the message that I've been given to bring to you is true. And, you know, I just thank the Lord. You know, the fire that God's putting all of us through is meant for our righteousness, you know, I think of um, in Jeremiah chapter 45, there's a message to Baruch, and, and I'm actually a descendant of the scribe of Jeremiah. And, you know, it's a small world, you know. It's an even smaller kingdom, you know, in terms of the elect, you know, the few that find the narrow way. We're kind of a small group, really, uh, compared to the masses of humanity that are on the wide road or on no road at all. But um, the Lord told me in my early early years that I was a descendant of Baruch, the scribe of Jeremiah. And, you know, Baruch himself said, Woe is me, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow, and I'm fainting in my sighing, and I find no rest. You know, it was tough on Baruch. It was tough on Jeremiah. They didn't have a good time. They were the laughing stock of the nation. They were pretty much hated wherever they went. You know, they were, they had a tough assignment. And, you know, but the Lord said to him, you know, you know, say unto, unto Baruch, 
Thus saith the Lord, that which I built, I'm now going to tear down, and that which I planted, I'm plucking up, even this entire nation. And seeking, are you seeking great things for yourself? Seek them not. Behold, I'm bringing evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord. But your life I will give unto you for a prey in all the places where you go. And, and um, you know, the Lord's protection has been upon me and, and those of my household. You know, the blessings of Benjamin and the blessings of the, of the house of Baruch are both blessings of protection. And though the Lord causes grief, Lamentation 3.32, though the Lord puts us through these fiery trials, yet will he have compassion upon us according to the multitude of his mercies. And, and the Lord is a good Lord, and his mercies are awesome. And, you know, when you go through the fire, and, and I didn't really have time to get into the some of the really intense details, but when you go through the fire and you're brought to the end of yourself, you see everything from a different viewpoint, and you realize, you know, the wisdom of the Lord there is true wisdom, and the, you know, and the things of the knowledge of good and evil, and of the mind of men, you know, this is vanity of vanities. You know, we don't know half of what we should know. We don't know half of what we, you know, we don't understand a half of what's happening right before our eyes, and and yet we would choose to make a judgment. Are we crazy? We need to press into the Lord. We need to find our way back home. And, you know, I hope this was a blessing to all you guys, those of you on the prayer army. Thank you so much for praying because it's really been quite the battle. You know, the enemy seems to be particularly gone crazy lately. So I thank you guys for praying. And thank you, Frank, for the opportunity to share. No, Benjamin, I appreciate it. You don't understand it. You do. I've shared with you so many times. But, folks, I've got a whole family here that um, the Lord used that book to shake me out of one of the worst. I was so drug infested in, in the, I was the chief of sinners. And, um, you know, the Lord sent my daughter, her birth, to begin the process of saving my life. And Benjamin, it was your book that shook me so hard that I'd be dead right now. I would be a dead man. If God didn't send that to save me. And folks, I'll tell you, when I have Benjamin on here, it's not because I just like Benjamin because I think he's a great speaker. It's personal. It's personal. And I don't know everything, but all I know is I was blind. And after that book, the Lord got a hold of me, and now I can see. And I thank you, Brother Benjamin, I thank more than anything the Lord for having you, your sufferings, be to my family's benefit. And many times, folks, that's the, that's the whole gist of this thing. Many times it's our lives and our trials that are for somebody else. And Benjamin, I have a feeling one day in the kingdom that you're going to find a whole lot of people that you had no idea about, that the Lord used you to touch a multitude of lives. And so, folks, I pray you just share this this testimony. Um, and, and I've had same experiences, the great, amazing years of the miracles. You know, amazing things happen, just unbelievable things that no science can explain. And then the hardship that follows. But I realize God is perfecting, and He's refining, and He's purifying. 
And you know what? I've been into trials lately. You know what? Always remember, Lord, how many times you brought me through the last trial. Benjamin, that's like an anchor for me when I go into these trials, is the memory of all the ones the Lord has brought me through before. And I just want to say God bless you and thank you for sharing this on the Remnant Call. Benjamin, we've got two minutes left. Would you just close out with a word of prayer? Oh, thank you, Frank. Father, I pray that your spirit would separate that which is holy and that which is precious from that which is common. And Lord, use the words that you anointed to accomplish your will in all of our lives. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And most of all, Lord, give us hearts to obey. And Lord, give us the faith and the courage to speak the truth and to walk in the truth and to face, Lord, to see and look at and embrace the truth. We live in a nation that is filled with lies. We live among a nation of people who are drowning under their lies. And they're going to perdition because they've believed in the lie. But the truth will set us free. Lord, confront us with your truth. Bring us to the place of truth. Let your truth work its wonderful work of salvation and deliverance and freedom in each and every one of your children. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, you know, it's so amazing, Benjamin, as you were praying, I just remembered this story right after, uh, you know, a few years after I'd been saved, I was at a police academy where they do, they train police officers and uh, meth, you know, was just, it was on a rampage at the time. It was really hitting full force. And uh, they said, hey, man, nobody, this guy told me to train there, nobody can get off meth. That's what the cops were being told. I said, no. That's not true. They see they had never seen the power of God at work in a man's life. Folks, that is what Jesus Christ can do. And so if you've never read The Day of the Lord is at Hand or any of the Search the Scripture books, I encourage you to. Because honestly, they're just full of the Bible. So if you like the Bible and you read those books, well, you'll just get all the Bible wrapped up in there. Brother Benjamin, God bless you. God bless your family, your children. I look forward to God's restoring power in your life and in the last days when we're in the kingdom together. This is Brother Frank and Brother Benjamin on the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. Trumpet in Zion, down in on the mountain. Lord, trumpet in Zion, for the day of the Lord is come. Lord, trumpet in Zion.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.